Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, you know, uh, I was uh, someone pulled my quote from the Seattle Port Commission and say, you introduced the folks at the Diversity Contracting Office, but you never introduced Fred Feldman, Ryan Calkins, Toshio Hasegawa, uh, Hamdi Mohammed, and uh, did I say Ryan Calkins twice? But anyway, uh, the program today is dedicated uh, to an, a big event that's coming up. Uh, Reverend Leslie Braxton, Senior Pastor, New Beginnings Christian Fellowship in Kent, Washington, has been one of the driving forces behind recognizing the first uh, state and federal holiday uh, for Juneteenth. And so I want to have Reverend Braxton introduce some of the folks who will be bringing some delightful music to you on Juneteenth at McCall Hall. And I'd like to have him explain how this came about and uh, what we can expect. So Reverend Leslie D. Braxton, thank you very much. Well, Eddie, thank you for having us on your show this week, and uh, good afternoon to all of you out there who are listening. Um, uh, a few months ago, I approached uh, the mayor of Seattle, Bruce Harrell, and asked him what was the city of Seattle doing uh, to recognize this maiden, this inaugural federal recognition of the Juneteenth holiday, which we as a people have been celebrating principally among ourselves for the past 157 years. And his response was, do you have any idea? And I said, I'm glad you asked. And so I asked him this question, what does or how does Marian Anderson and Paul Roberson get a footprint in Juneteenth when typically we're at the parks, we're in the backyards and, and, and we're wearing our kente cloth and we're barbecuing, all of which I love, but how do the fine arts people step into these waters. And so I said, what I'm asking is that the city uh, would uh, put up one of its world-class music houses uh, and would put up funding to assist a broad array of community partners in sponsoring an event that would have a world-class uh, presentation, second to none that anyone else would do in the country, featuring uh, Black fine arts musicianship, backed by an orchestra, a rhythm section, and bring the best local uh, singers with the best national talent. Um, and, and, and this be available every year. Langston Hughes once said, if I can see it, I can be it. And he liked the idea. So we came together and uh, two people I called uh, together to begin the design of the program. That was Dr. Stephen Newby, the um, uh, director of music at Seattle Pacific University, and someone I know well because we have the last same last name, and that is uh, Ramon Bryant Braxton, um, who graduated Lincoln High School, went on to Morehouse College, accompanying the Glee Club, um, and then uh, getting his uh, degree in music from there, and then going on uh, to Morgan State, studying under the great uh, Nathan Carter, um, and his uh, professional journey carrying him from the music staff at Ebenezer in Atlanta to Metropolitan Baptist Church in D.C., where he was played alongside and under the mentorship of Richard Smallwood for many years, and then uh, e even most recently, the great Abyssinia a Baptist Church, where Adam Clayton Powell Sr. and Jr. once pastored and now is under Calvin Butts. Um, and so Dr. Newby and he did the original design, but he is now the sole conductor and director orchestrating this great array of talent. Um, and some of which is going to be 
uh, is on this program today, including some of our great uh, local uh, singers, and that is Robin Henderson, who is a, an iconic brand here locally, singer, evangelist, uh, minister of music down at Greater Destiny in Tacoma, uh, gospel singer extraordinaire, but also rhythm and blues and all of that. And uh, young Chandler Williams is one of our emerging voices here in the community, um, uh, going to uh, school for music. And he's been playing and singing in the Pacific Northwest and across the country since he was a little boy. And so they're here with me to talk about this program and I wanna introduce them. And, um, and so I want them to say hello to you and we can talk about the substance of the show. Ramon? Good afternoon, Mr. Rice. Good to see you, sir. You are a legend. I'm honored to be with you on this program. I'm honored to be a part of this event. Uh, and it's just an honor to be welcome home to share in such a monumental uh, event in the life of the African-American community here in Washington State and just the community in general as this will be an inclusive event musically um, in terms of the players who will be including. You'll have a chorus mostly of, of Black folks, but we'll have a very diverse orchestra and rhythm section comprising a lot of the musicians in the region. Um, I want to be careful about saying the best singers. Uh, we're going to have some of the best. I don't want to rub nobody the wrong way, but I think we'll have a pretty good contingency of some of the finest talent that uh, Western Washington has to offer. So I'm looking forward to this uh, to this night of uh, great music making. Ramon, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the other personalities that will be singing um, uh, that are coming in town so that people understand the um, the caliber of the overall presentation that they're going to be exposed to? Absolutely. So the program is very diverse. Um, I tried to put together a program that spoke to um, a full range of uh, African-American music uh, that covers from the Negro spiritual. Actually, we're going to start all the way back with our African roots with some percussion uh, works that are just for percussion called Talking Drums. And then we kind of move forward through uh, symbolic musical representation of the agony of the Middle Passage into the Negro spiritual. And then we go from that using the spiritual as a point of departure that will take us into all these other musical expressions that are uh, a part of the African-American tradition from blues, jazz, gospel, even hip hop. Um, some of the artists we're bringing in is uh, Bridget Brazil, who many uh, Seattle folks may know. She is a well-known African-American uh, opera singer who will be coming in and we'll be hearing from her. Uh, she'll be sharing with us some of the traditional uh, arranged spirituals. Um, and then my good friend and brother Solomon Howard, who is now one of the world-class opera singers in the world. Uh, he's currently, uh, the week of this performance, he'll be with San Francisco Opera doing Don Giovanni, but he just happens to be off that Sunday. So he's going to come up and share with us as well. Uh, and he'll take us through, um, you mentioned Paul Robeson. Uh, there's a piece called Old Man River. Uh, he'll be singing that as well as some more contemporary things. So you'll see the full range of his musical uh, abilities from just straight up classical singing to he's going to be playing percussion on some of the works that are going to happen later in the program. Um, we have James Conner, who is, I believe he's a native of this area. I'm not mm -hmm. sure he is. Yes, lives currently in L.A. He'll be flying up to be one of our featured soloists as well. 
Uh, he'll be sharing with us some of the musical repertoire that uh, came about in the 60s. Uh, Sam Cooke made iconic uh, in the life of American music. Um, James Conner, who else we got? We have uh, our featured uh, composer, Darren Atwater, who was one of my mentors, who was uh, a child prodigy in the Baltimore area. He performed his first major work with the Baltimore Symphony, uh, the National Symphony Orchestra, and when he was just a teenager. Um, so he's composed a lot of the music that we'll be doing um, that basically uses Negro spirituals or traditional African-American hymns, such as uh, Thomas Dorsey's Precious Lord, as a point of departure to take us through uh, an essay, if you will, in the expressions of African-American uh, idioms uh, in our compositional styles. So he will be with us, he'll also be playing. Um, I'm excited about that. I've, I've I'm, out of all the people I've worked with, he's probably my biggest musical influence because I've worked with him the longest. So this is an honor for me to just stand at the podium conducting his music with him sitting right there at the piano in front of me. <laughs> so it's gonna be an intimidating experience, but uh, something I'm very looking forward to. Uh, and, and I think the audience will be quite blessed, I hope, by what we are able to accomplish uh, in such a short amount of time. <laughs> I wanna be add uh, here that the, the name of the uh, musical program is um, Songs of Black Folk. Songs of Black Folk, Music of Resistance and Hope. And I've described this program in saying that uh, this is the music in all of its iterations that has sustained the Black people who have endured more than four centuries of white supremacy um, and white racism and its relentless assault on Black bodies and Black lives. And when you look at all of our music, starting with um, spirituals, percussions, gospel, jazz, um, R&B, hip hop, all of it is a pushback on racism and it's, um, it's denigration of our personhood and, uh, and, and provides us with the hope that has moved us forward, sacred and secular. And, and so we're looking forward to being taken on that musical journey to show that no matter what comes out of our mouths, it's still all about helping the black people survive and thrive. Uh, I wanna introduce right now, a couple of people who have roles in the uh, production. Uh, I wanna bring Robin in right now. She's doing one of the solo pieces and anybody who's ever listened to Robin sing, uh, get ready to start rocking as black people do when there's a shout coming on. So Robin, what's it like for you to just be among this cluster of just extraordinarily gifted people? Good afternoon to all of you. And uh, I'm excited, oh my gosh, I am excited and I'm honored to have been asked to take part in what will be the premiere of something that's going to happen for far as I feel to come. There were young people who were able to uh, take part in this and go, uh, either I was there when it first started or I heard so much about it and I want to be a part of it. But the biggest part of it would be that uh, as we start this, this, this as, a, uh, as an annual gathering of showing not only the gifts and talents of us together, but also um, the triumph of those of us of, of African-American uh, history and 
and I'm excited also to be working with people that uh, I have worked for and some who I have watched as little boys, Mr. Bent, uh, Braxton, those who I've watched as little people come up and, and become great and mighty in, in their, uh, in their uh, chosen professions and, and to stand there with pride knowing that uh, I've seen them and I can say I knew them when. And then those who are older than myself, even that are still doing that thing and are still standing up and and uh, and giving us music that's wonderful and great. And and um, I'll be honest, I'm while I'm excited that that um, there will be people there, if you will, of of uh, uh, you know high stature or whatever you want to call it. There will be governors and mayors and all of that kind of stuff. I'm more excited because I believe there will be us there. And those of us who may have forgotten the, some things that uh, we've uh, had to endure, those of us who may not have ever, ever even heard some of this music, regardless, they will get a chance to witness greatness on that evening because of who's going to be standing on the stage, who will be um, presenting and uh, the those who who if you will have a status and have a title that's just um, cherry on the top. So I'm excited for what our children will learn. And uh, I told uh, Pastor Braxton last week when they uh, when when they leave they're going to be oh thank God thank God I got a chance to take part in that and uh, that was exciting. And I hope I never, ever miss it again. I honestly believe that after this uh, presentation, there will, people, there will be people who will uh, make, annual, make it an annual thing where they'll say, I want to do this as, you know, how you get season tickets to the football game. They will get season tickets to take place every my year. Well, I, I want to, on that note, let folks know you can go online to the McCall Hall site to get tickets. They are free. You can get up to four. They'll send them to your email. You can print them off and present them at the door to be scanned, or you can show them on your phone. Um, we've moved over 1,400 tickets uh, currently, uh, so get your tickets. They are moving. And, or you can go to the New Beginnings uh, website and they are there. Um, but the flyer is out there. You put up, you, you can order them anywhere. You can get a hold of that QR code. And so it, it gets your tickets. But I, you know, I think about people like Felicia Curry that everyone around here knows. And when she does changed, oh my God, there, a lot is going on in our world. And Eddie, trust me, it's regular people going and sitting through something that's going to strengthen people, encourage people, um, empower people. This is as much a ministry moment as it is a cultural moment or anything else. And so I would encourage people who just um, in a world that's teetering and tottering, um, we need this experience. But I want to bring right now to the conversation a young man who, you know, 15, 20 years from now, he's going to be doing what Ramon is doing, and he may be the conductor for this event. And that is young Chandler Williams, who 
mama and daddy put him at a piano when his feet they weren't even touching the ground. <laughs> and so he is one of the people in the choral group. So Chandler, um, what's it like for you to be learning this music and singing among uh, your peers, but also giants in the industry and people who raised you and who were your role models growing up? Yes, indeed. Um, first and foremost, it is definitely an intense experience in the process of learning it under the direction of Ramon, but it absolutely calls for it. Um, the arrangements and the pieces are of the utmost brilliance. So it calls for an intense and intimate um, rehearsal and learning process for it all. And it is definitely an honor to be a part of it. Of course, initially I just agreed to it out of my love for music, but um, I don't think it registered how historic of a moment this would be until I saw who is going to be a part of it in Ramon Braxton and uh, Professor Newby I'm familiar with, Darren Atwater, who I just became familiar with uh, through this process. So it is definitely brilliant and genius level musicianship within this event. And it's definitely the type of place that I want to be in and learn from and grow in. Uh, Chandler uh, is, is a young man that uh, he's been moving around the Pacific Northwest uh, almost since he came out of the womb. And so uh, I remember when his voice was higher than mine and now it's much deeper than mine. Uh, so everything comes uh, full circle. Um, Eddie, um, what, grant, what, what do we need to say to the audience out there to get them to know that this is something they need to be a part of? I, I can't stress the historicity of it because having grown up in, in Tacoma, um, I don't recall and I'm pretty steeped in our history, any singular event where you have had this much elite talent nationally and locally in one place as a part of one production. That in itself is historic and that it comes on the occasion of the first federal recognition of Juneteenth that layers over with Father's Day and in the setting of the McCall Hall, I think makes this truly a, a historic, historic occasion. And, you know, it's good for you to take the lead on this because the state holiday was sponsored by State Representative Melanie Morgan from Lakewood. Okay. So also I want to tell a shout out to my nephew, Chandler, a shout out. He's been a featured artist at the Martin Luther King Commemoration uh, Committee events. And I still have your barbecue, nephew. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that... Uh, this is uh, this is something that probably it probably emulated around the country, as far as I, that's what that's how things take off. Uh, like uh, they're taking off in Martin Luther King Jr. County, and they'll go it'll go it'll go around the country. Uh, I would say next year you'll see this uh, duplicated or at least attempted to be duplicated in probably several different cities throughout the country, because uh, you get the experience of hearing uh, quality performers sing and play, but you also get the education and the black history that is brought to you by song and music. So I think it's an amazing idea. I'm so happy that you were able to convince the mayor to step up to the plate. I think this is a, just really an outstanding, uh, this will be an outstanding moment on Juneteenth. And I know there are a lot of things will be going on, but I tell you, this is one that, like you said, the tickets are going fast. As soon as we get done, I'm gonna have to go get my tickets to make sure I'm there. So 
Uh, now, what other, there are some other folks that you I have coming in, and you mentioned some of the names. Uh, I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about how people can get their tickets. we got about, about three minutes left, so if you could go ahead and wrap that up, we'd appreciate it. Well, um, if they go to the McCall Hall um, website and just scroll down to June 19th, you will see the tickets that are available there, and you can register and get your tickets. Um, if you go to New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, um, to our website, uh, thenbcf.org, a banner will drop down and it will you can get your tickets uh, right there. Um, and the flyer's out there anywhere, and there's a QR code on it. And if you hit it, put your phone camera up to it, it'll take you right to the, um, uh, to the ticket uh, uh, master so that you can get your tickets for it. Uh, but as a part of the group, you also have um, uh, Martha Nash, longtime singer uh, down in Tacoma uh, from Bethlehem Baptist Church. Felicia Curry, who's going to be a part of it. Jeanne Perez, one of the young people. Uh, Proctor Mills, who's the minister of music over at Church by the Side of the Road. Uh, Brother Simeon over at um, First AME. Eldridge Harding, who's longtime member of Sounds of the... Uh, uh, Northwest. Uh, There's so uh, many others that are a part of this. Um, I can't even call all the names of the people in the choir because I really don't even know them because it was the singers, Deneen Grant, um, uh, who along with uh, Janae and Simeon helped select some of the singers that are in the group. Ramon Robin would tell you could tell you better some of the singers in the group, but the national presenters are Bridget Bazil, James Connor, um, uh, Solomon Howard, and Darren Atwater. You Google any one of those individuals' names and you'll be reading for a while and the things that they've done. Um, so this is world-class. Dr. Newby, I will say this, will not be physically present um, because of changes that happened in his life and schedule. Uh, Ramon will be the sole conductor um, uh, he collaborated with Dr. Nubia in the initial stages, um, but I'm excited about the fact that the, the program has taken on a redraft that is going all the way from the beginning, all the way through hip hop. It is truly in one production, a baptism in black folk music. And uh, you will be back uh, periodically over the next couple of weeks to give us updates. And also, if we have any of the other uh, artists that might be performing, we might share a few minutes with them as well. And once again, where can people get their tickets? They can get their tickets by going to the McCall Hall uh, website and then scroll down to the Juneteenth musical and get your tickets. You can go to the New Beginnings Christian Fellowship uh, website, thenbcf.org. That's T-H-E-N as in Nancy, B as in boy, C as in coffee, F as in food.org. Um, and then there a banner right there where it says Juneteenth uh, musical. And if you go on Facebook, that flyer is out there. Go to city, city of Seattle, one Juneteenth. So go to the city of Seattle's website and the Juneteenth uh, musical is on there. And then you can get tickets from there. So we look forward to all of you being there. Um, and, and, um, Come as you are, but dress up a little bit because they will be in full haberdashery on the stage. All right, Reverend Braxton, appreciate it. We'll talk with you again uh, next week. So thank you All very right. much. God thank bless you guys everybody. for your contributions. 
Ramon and Robin and Chandler, thank you for your contributions. And I wish I had uh, just a tenth of y'all's talent. So <laughs> talk pleasure. To you thank week. you for having me, sir. All right. Thank now. you, Eddie. All right. Thank you so much. Take okay, care. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a break and come back after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. All right, Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest with my next guest, the distinguished president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, Michelle Merriweather. As a matter of fact, uh, last week in the newspaper, she's on the front page uh, announcing that uh, the Seattle Medium and the Urban League relaunched a campaign to support local Black businesses and Lord knows we need all the help we can get. So Michelle Merriweather, thank you once again for being on Urban Forum Northwest. And uh, this seems like a pretty exciting event here. So tell our audience a little bit about how you and the media are gonna be able to help the black businesses. It's always an honor to be with you, Mr. Rye. And you know, I do anything for you uh, and I just appreciate everything you do for community. Um, the Urban League and, and the Seattle Medium joined forces early in the pandemic uh, in 2020 uh, to highlight and elevate and um, provide uh, some attention, call some attention to Black-owned businesses that uh, didn't have access to PPP loans, didn't have access to the foot traffic that they would normally get, didn't have um, a web presence to go on to e-commerce, just to highlight those businesses, to make sure that people remembered that they were still there. The 25 Alive campaign uh, was born uh, as a reminder and as a, uh, as a call to action for us as community 
and uh, at the and the Seattle community and the region at large to make sure that we are mindful of where we're spending our money to encourage at least twenty five dollars a week in a black owned business to spend twenty five dollars a week at a black owned business and um, you know many of us you know go buy our coffee every morning take our families out to eat on Fridays or order food to be delivered um, at home. And just as a reminder, to be mindful of where we're spending our money to make sure that we're doing our part to elevate, uplift, and support our Black-owned businesses. Now, uh, recently, the Urban League also opened a, a new resource center on Rainier. Can you tell our audience about that? Absolutely. I'd be honored. Uh, 901 Rainier is now our resource center where folks can go to get uh, our all of the resources of the Urban League, but in particular, jobs and support for our young people. Our education programs and our workforce programs are now housed there at 901 Rainier. Um, uh, thankfully, uh, we have been uh, afforded the opportunity to double down on our work and our response to connecting people to employment, supporting our Black-owned businesses, and, and uh, equally as important are our young folks, um, particularly our high school students, to make sure they're receiving the mentorship and the support and the care that they need. So all of those resources are now at 901 Rainier. But I will also say we haven't forgotten about the great work that Ms. Taylor is doing in, in housing and supporting those that um, need resources, either foreclosure prevention, preparing to purchase a home. You can get resources uh, for that there as well. Um, but it is a resource home, uh, hub uh, directed to uh, supporting folks uh, connecting to to jobs and work, pre-apprenticeship programs, um, and and other uh, work opportunities for sure. And you know, I want to say that uh, recently been having meetings with uh, Earl Key with Washdot uh, yeah. uh, in out of the diversity program, and uh, 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 he's also talking about uh, uh, putting money into apprenticeship programs because this is going to be, I guess, about sixty percent of the workers at Washdot over the next five years will be retiring. Are going to retire. But, uh, yeah, see, that's one time that discrimination on work. <clears throat> now you've been kept certain people out of certain jobs, and now the people that have the jobs are retiring, and there's nobody hiring to replace them. So, there's nobody to replace them. You're right. So, yeah, so, you know, now uh, the National Urban League, uh, I've, had, I've had a chance to meet with Mark Moriel and stuff. What are the priorities that's coming down from the National Urban League? Oh, there are a lot of things. Um, uh, the, the theme of the National Urban League right now is the Urban League Fights for You. And so we're fighting on a number of, of fronts, uh, voter discrimination, housing discrimination, uh, certainly uh, gun violence and changes to gun laws, um, and, and making sure that resources are being sent to states and cities uh, through uh, the uh, federal relief funding that is still uh, being uh, distributed to make sure that our our communities are able to recover because uh, Mr. Rye, we are our community in particular is still in a pandemic. We have not had the opportunity yet to recover. We are, you know, our folks are still struggling to make sure that their their rent and mortgages are paid. Our businesses are still struggling. So the National Urban League is still advocating for um, funding to go directly to states and, in particular, 
cities to make sure that those funds are allocated to the communities and the org- community organizations, community-based organizations that are supporting our people, uh, like the Urban League, but certainly there are others like the work that you do and others. So they're advocating for resources to go directly to us in these cities to do this, to continue to support those that are struggling through um, the pandemic, as, as certainly many other things as well, but those are the top. Yes, I can understand that. And then uh, we're still facing these tragedies, this gun violence and stuff. And uh, I just don't know. Uh, I know I know that Mark Morial and National Urban League have their position about uh, background checks and limited capacity of magazines and stuff. But it's just sickening to sit up and think that someone could walk in and kill all these babies. And it happens Baby. over and over again. And you still have the same people in elective office that has seemed to be siding with the, the people that's doing the killings, I'll be honest with you, because they're enabling. And they're I know it, yeah. that uh, I hear about a lot of the guns turning up in some cities and, and, and states where there's a, a background check and all kinds of uh, hoops you have to jump through to even own a gun. But in other states right next to them, they're able to sell anybody anything. And in Texas, you can be like this 18-year-old kid bought that AR-15. I mean, a weapon of war and uh, all these all this ammunition and when the red flag raised. So I'm just I guess some people just don't care. Uh, what is the national position of the urban league on gun violence? And- yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a few things there. One, the National Urban League is certainly supporting our local urban leagues that are in those cities and states that have uh those folks that are in positions of leadership and elected officials that aren't siding with us to ensure that justice is done and that laws change to protect babies and children and folks that just want to send their kids to school and be safe, go to church and worship and other places to make sure that voters are educated, that we um, are providing people with the tools to uh, vote against these folks and this legislation that is harmful to our communities and make sure that they're empowered with that information. And in addition, in addition to that, the National Urban League is uh, elevating um, plans and policies on a federal level to make sure that we're advocating for changes in these uh, uh, gun laws to protect our babies and our children as well. So they're very active in states like, like Texas and Ohio and others that um that and in georgia that are putting suppressive uh uh practices in place to make sure that we don't uh, don't have access to the the polls to put these people out of office or to change uh to change laws that don't support and uplift and elevate uh the folks in, in their communities that that need their their voices heard and deserve to have their voices heard as, and, and while we don't necessarily uh, advocate for particular people, we do advocate for particular policies, and many of those folks that are in positions now do not align with our policies. So we have to make sure that we are encouraging folks in those cities and states to get out and vote, and that's how change happens. So we're starting there, uh, but certainly uh, want to make sure that on, on a federal level as well that uh, changes are made to gun laws and practices that uh, are in place to support and elevate and keep keep our babies safe. 
Now, one final question I have for you uh, in terms of recommendations, either from the national or the local uh, urban league offices, uh, this homeless crisis just seems to be out of control. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that uh, some departments, uh, the Department of our House Arms Services Committee budget is $780 billion. And I, uh, my friend, Congressman Adam Smith, is the chair of that committee. But Congressman Adam Smith, 10% of that $780 billion that you have to kill people or defend the country, I'll be nice. If that went to, to solve the homeless crisis, I think that would be enough funds to do it. If we really care about the people who are homeless. That's my opinion. What do you have to say about that? You know, <laughs> I, I, I think it is a resource problem. So I, I would have to tend to agree. I think if we put if we align our, I always say, if we align our budgets to where our priorities are, if you want to know where uh, things are important in our in our cities and in our our states and in our federal budgets, follow the money, right? And that's where you find uh, where the priorities are. And if if we are going to solve this homeless crisis in 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 any city. Uh, we have to make sure that the resources are there. Uh, it, it was, um, I recently learned that, uh, the, I'll, I'll use Seattle, um, and, well, King County as an example. We currently allocate about $11 a person, uh, that are, uh, per person that is living on the street to, to, to support and services to help them. Meanwhile, the median income just to live in this city is well over $20 an hour, uh, $20 uh, an hour and $20 a day, right? So we have to make sure that we are truly, truly, truly aligning our budgets and our support to where uh, we think is important. If housing crisis, homeless crisis, is where if we want to solve it, we have to put our our money and our resources there, uh, and be in, be intentional about providing services and resources and housing, right, to uh, to solve this issue. So um, that means changing um, some zoning practices, some building approval practices to make sure that we have adequate housing. That means addressing how we respond to folks that are living in crisis, and all of those things take money and resources. And I could talk all day about this, but uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the short of it is, yes, we have to change how we are allocating our funding. Well, Michelle Merriweather, President and CEO of the Urban League Metropolitan Seattle, you have some answers. I hope some people are listening because you have some answers. So I want to thank you very much for your time today, and we'll be in touch real soon. So thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate everything you do, Mr. Wright. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate you. Okay, Eric, we'll take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. 
Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150. Talk radio for the body, mind, and soul. Hey, uh, Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest with my last guest, Mr. Jebediah Gardner of Gardner Global. Also is a real estate developer and uh, has been very successful. So, uh, Brother Gardner, what I want you to do is uh, just go ahead and recite your resume because people need to know what you've done and who you are. And uh, I think that'll be very inspirational and enlightening to a lot of people. So go right ahead, sir. I appreciate that. Well, thank you uh, for having me on your show today, Mr. Eddie Rye. Uh, my name is Jebediah Gardner. I'm the CEO of Gardner Global, um, founded in 2009. Uh, we're a multifamily real estate investment development company headquartered here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, we focus on urban infill, uh, multifamily mixed-use projects. Uh, mixed income, meaning uh, we're looking at market rate, affordable, and workforce housing. Uh, here in the city of Seattle proper. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a full full operational property management company. Um, been doing this for 13 years. It's been a slow build, slow grind. Um, I just recently uh, got selected as the Amazon List Fellow. Uh, so it's my first fellowship program, and I'm super excited to be joining Amazon on that endeavor. Uh, we purchased about a half an acre of land in the Central District, uh, the Mount Calvary properties on 23rd and Union. Uh, we closed around a little over $8 million of, of acquisition on land in 2021. And this year we have another uh, close to four and a half million to close um, this year, um, wh- which will put us at close to over four acres of land in the city of Seattle, which is, at, you know, uh, a big lift. It's heavy lift, but I'm determined to be one of the uh, largest black landowners in the state, if not the West Coast, if not the country. Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> you also have a uh, about your background. You also have a doctorate degree, and I also like to have you talk about some of the projects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to law school. I have a juris doctorate degree. Uh, graduated in twenty twelve. Yep, graduated in twenty twelve from uh, Western Michigan Law School, um, and I went to University of Washington uh, from from my undergrad. So I'm a husky, husky uh, bleed purple and gold. And um, excited. Oh, the plan was always to uh, wrap up law school in Grand Rapids, graduate and come back home and and, uh, implement a lot of the work that we're doing today. Talk specifically about some of the projects you've developed over the past few years. 
Yeah, uh, so most specifically, uh, or I guess most recently, we had an opportunity to uh, to partner with uh, Capitol Hill Housing, um, recently known as Community, Community Roots Housing, uh, the Liberty Bank building on 24th and Union, um, that was a project we rolled up our sleeves and had our hand in um, from acquisition in 2015 to lease up in 2019. Um, and as you know, Liberty Bank building, um, you know, it's, it's, it's in the Central District, which used to be majority Black populated. And we really wanted to make sure that that building was an emblem um, and, and, and a marker of the history and cultural significance of what black folks have given to the city. So uh, we worked very hard on that project. It was a $33 million project, 100% affordable. It was financed by the city and the state. Um, and a lot of nonprofit uh, partners who came in and, and helped finance that. And uh, we leased it up. And I believe at least up, we're at over 80% African-American um, residents who occupy the building. Um, and we're super excited about that project. And currently, um, just a block to the west uh, where we purchased the Mount Calvary project or the Mount Calvary site. Uh, Mount Calvary is a historically black church, been there since the eighties. Um, and we're super thankful that Bishop Witherspoon decided to work with us and sell us the property. And we're looking at a seven story building there. Uh, we're looking at a, anywhere between 150 to 109 units. A good majority of those are gonna be affordable units. Um, and some of them are gonna be market rate uh, with ground level retail. And so we're hoping to bring back on that retail level some of our smaller business owners and micropreneurs. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna look to create what's called work live lofts instead of having traditional box retail on the first level. We want artists, we want small business owners, people who um, you know want to start their businesses and don't want to find uh, or you know can't afford to to you know find a commercial space to rent and have to live somewhere. We're gonna create some spaces at that retail level where they can front the windows with their business, but also live there. Um, and we want to add some vibrancy to that street on twenty third. That's a very good approach. Now, there uh, you mentioned Mount Calvary, like a lot of church black churches in the central area of Seattle. Uh, people walk to those churches, and now uh, with uh, after the redlining of 70s and so-called gentrification, I call it economic apartheid, this mm. uh, seems to sort of really go from 88% black to I guess less than 12% now. It seems to me like a lot of these churches would be prime candidates in terms of still owning something and having affordable housing to allow black folks to come back to the, uh, close to being downtown to the University of Washington, Seattle U, all the medical facilities without having to get on on the freeway. Uh, so I was just, have you ever thought about uh, discussing any of those acquisitions? I, I guess Mount Calvary opens up the door with Bishop Reggie Witherspoon. That opens the door up. But I was just wondering if you had any conversations with those other Black churches who seen their attendance going all the way down so they can hardly survive. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you bring up a great point. You know, a lot of people forget that the Black church uh, you know, was the, our communities were built around the church. So wherever the church was, that's where the stores were. That's where the homes were like this. The, the church was like central piece to our community. Everything kind of spread out from there. And so when you kind of when you have a community that kind of has been picked apart, you know, economic, uh, what you call apartheid, gentrification, all the things. Um, then you, you start to also erode the foundation of the black church, which means less people coming to, 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 to congregate and praise because they can't afford to live in the neighborhood to praise anymore. So when we worked with Bishop Witherspoon, that definitely opened the door. And we actually are under contract to purchase 
another African-American church uh, that's about five, six minutes away on Rainier Avenue that's been there even longer, been there since the 50s. And uh, we're working with uh, that board uh, to acquire that property. And also the key thing I want to make sure people understand, like affordable housing is just a piece of the puzzle. We got to create ownership and wealth building opportunities for our people so they don't get stuck and lag behind in those affordable units. We got to give people not only the chance to purchase these units, but the ability to invest in these projects. And it doesn't need to be a lot of money. You know, a lot of folks, um, you know, within our community, um, you know, and, and real estate is a capital intensive business and, and you do need a lot of money to do the work that we're doing. But what we're doing is we're creating opportunities on the back end where we're allowing people who are from our community to invest in these projects so they can see some long-term longevity and have a portfolio where they can start to grow their wealth. So in addition to the affordable housing piece, we're really focused on building wealth. And that's our hashtag. That's our slogan. You'll see me on social media, Facebook saying, let's build wealth, because that's something that we believe that if we don't address, then everything else is to the wind. We got to make sure we put our people in an economic position to sustain themselves for the long term. And that's what we're doing with our projects. How can uh, my listeners find out information about you? Are you I have a website. Uh, I know, I know uh, Gardner Global does have a website. Can you share that information and any other kind of tips you can give folks who might uh, be embracing your message of wealth building and home ownership? Uh, give them some tips and also how can they get uh, information uh, uh, in terms of what you're talking about? Indeed, uh, you know, I'm easily found online. Uh, Jebediah.com is a good place to start. You can catch up with me there. You can see the portfolio of work, some of the things we've done. Um, you can also find me on social media on Twitter at Jebediah on Instagram at Jebediah, Facebook at Jebediah. My name is unique, so there was no need to add any funny names. So if you if you uh, hit the Google bar, um, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure to pop up. Uh, my name is very unique. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to tap into to folks of high net worth, um, folks from the community who want to learn more of how they can invest in the projects that we have going. It's a heavy lift. You know, I don't come from resources. I don't come from a background of, of real estate development. I don't come from a background of a, of, of a trust fund or, or a portfolio of homes to lean on. My family comes from a modest background, very similar story that we're all accustomed to, to, to hearing from young black men. So this is from the mud, from the bottom. And we got to a place where we feel really great, but we need help and we need to make sure that we bring our partners who share our vision and want to want to maintain and grow grow their portfolio of wealth? Who would you say uh, uh, was your mentor? Who did, who who gave you the assistance in putting all your stuff together? Yeah, you know that was a big a big piece of uh, building my business was having um, you know tons of people who are older than me in and out of the real estate business who uh, had game, had knowledge, had wisdom. Um, you know, some of the folks that come to mind are you know, a list of people in the breakfast group in Seattle. You know, George Northcroft was early in helping me and instrumental. Uh, you know, Nate Miles was instrumental. Tony Orange had wisdom for days. Paul Mitchell, Hank McGee. Um, you know, I could go down a list of folks who really, really were took the time to, to, to explain to me not only just you know, how hard it's going to be to build a real estate company, but how hard it is to be black and build a real estate company in a majority white city. And so, you know, a lot of the pitfalls and things that I felt like um, were readily available for me to fall into, I'm super thankful for the elders who came before me, who gave me that game. 
And I was able to avoid some of those and move strategically, move very strategically, because Seattle is, is a very interesting city. It's very liberal minded up front, but on the back end, it's very conservative. So if you don't know how to navigate those rooms and conversations, you'll get left out in the cold here. Um, this is not an easy environment to grow a black business, um, but we're determined to do so. And we're excited to have um, everyone who's on board with us, um, you know, with us. And so um, in addition to some of those folks, uh, I got a handful of, of you know, developers um, who aren't black, who are in Seattle, who have been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. And, we, and, and they've been amazing investors and partners and giving me the inside of how to survive and grow in this game. And so while their, their, their mentorship might not be focused on, you know, how to survive as a black male, they've been giving me game on how to survive in general in this carnivorous game of real estate development. So I've surrounded myself with a, a big knowledge bank of folks who are much more experienced and older than me. And I just make sure I listen. I make sure I listen. And that's one thing my generation needs to do is just sit back and listen to the OGs and get some game okay. and literally like things will fall in the face. <laughs> okay, Jebediah Gardner of Gardner Global, thank you very much for, uh, for your comments today. Uh, I also want to congratulate you on your success and hopefully some of the people who are trying to get things together will look you up. So thank you, sir. We appreciate you today. Thank you very much. Take care. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, before we go, I got to mention that uh, when I mentioned the poor commissions, I left Sam Cho out. So Sam Cho, Hamdi Mohammed, Toshiko Hasegawa, Grant Bellman, Ryan Coggins, and the ship is being driven by Steve Metrock, who is a retired Coast Guard guy. want to thank Sound Transit, uh, Office of Civil Rights with John T. Uh, Robinson, uh, also the Office of uh, Equity and Inclusion, uh, the Port of Seattle's uh, uh, Office of uh, Contracting Services and Purchasing, uh, also, uh, the Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office, me and Rice Lawrence, over Josie Reagan. Uh, thank you, Eric, for today. And uh, we'll be talking with you again uh, next week. Matter of fact, we have Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, Jamie Elmore, Carolyn Riley Payne, Reverend Braxton, and Hayward Evans as we build up to Juneteenth, the first state and federal holiday for Juneteenth. So we'll talk with you again next week. <laughs>